It's the Pikey and Lout Show, Talking Taipans. Chris Pike and Alex Loughton come to you with everything that is 100% Taipans. Let's go. It's Talking Taipans. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Pikey and Lout Show. We're Talking Taipans. And it's another big week we need to look at, look forward to for the Cairns Taipans. So last week didn't go to plan. A couple more losses and the losses of unfortunately now strung together but two more chances this weekend in round four of the nbl both at home both against the winless new zealand breakers so let's hope it's a chance for the snakes to to get up and running we've got a very special guest on this week's show we'll take a look at fans questions from the orange army that the burning questions you guys all want to have answered so i'm chris pike your co-host but the cairns taipans legend himself alex loudon how do we find you this week Mate, very good, Pikey, and obviously uh, just a, a nail-biting loss. But let's get straight into it. Uh, we've got a very special guest, as you mentioned, uh, who was at the game, Bullets versus Taipans as well, and can't wait to hear some of his insights as well, and we'll introduce him then. Do we call him a legend? He's a legend of the NBL, isn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Legend of the game, 309 NBL games. He's naturalised Aussie, former teammate as well. Uh, plenty mm-hmm. plenty of you know accolades to his name. And uh, some big moments as well, and we'll we'll touch on that very soon. Yeah, very excited to get his thoughts on that overtime game in Brisbane on on Saturday. This episode of the Pikey and Lows Show is proudly brought to you by Cairns Total Physio. Less pain, more life. And Statton's Plumbing Company, plumbers who care. There was two games back in round three for the Taipans Laos. We were looking forward to them on our show last week. We were looking at the fact that the Taipans were one and three. It was a chance to square the ledger with two more games, but it went the other way. Thursday night at home to the Hawks was not the game we were hoping for. 20-point loss to the Hawks. Almost bounced back on Saturday. Much better performance. The best first half of the season so far from the Taipans. Unfortunately, it went to overtime. Pivotal, I think, that Cam Oliver and Majuk Deng were unavailable in that overtime. And a two-point loss to the Bullets means that they come home this weekend now to the Taipans and two games against the Breakers, one and five, and need to get some wins on the board. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, a, a lot of things are being exposed, I guess, at the moment. Um, you know, that to, to lose to the Hawks, uh, another 20-point loss, uh, we're hoping that we'd we'd see a bit of um, some some progress against uh, that team, but I think the, what what was noticeable was a was a tale of sort of two halves again, and uh, I guess once the energy level dropped off and the, and it couldn't be sustained, that's when the Hawks really opened up and uh, they they sort of did it by committee, but led by obviously Tyler at the at the front there. So I mean he's been proving quite quite a handful, Tyler Harvey, and uh, yeah, just just in, in, you know what Gorgon's been able to do with the Hawks. Hawks is, uh, is pretty impressive in such a short time, but definitely got some some shooters and got lots of uh, right players in right positions. But for the Taipans, searching for answers, uh, and then so many games back-to-back as well, hearing a lot of comments about, um, you know, teams are coming in, resting for the week, and Taipans are playing mm-hmm. two games, and then having to face them. So, I mean, there's no excuses, I guess. You, you can't be saying, you know, oh, they've had so many games back-to-back. They've got to find the answers within their within themselves. And obviously, there's a big hole without DJ Newbill there. They're going to have to find someone that, that can get some paint penetration and force the refs to make a decision. Um, but, uh, look, the, the game in, in Brisbane... The, the fans saw a you know slightly rejuvenated Taipans in terms of the mindset. They they came in sort of strong, but it was a tale of two halves again. So yeah, obviously your thoughts. Where where do you want to start for these two games? Let's go back to the Hawks game quickly because the start wasn't too bad. I think it was twelve six or twelve five at one point. The start was okay, but then the Hawks have got some great shooters, like you said, Tyler Harvey and also Justinian Jessup, and they just caught fire. I think they went on a sixteen and zero run either side of quarter time and from there the Taipans were never able to make up that gap and and I guess some of the things that have been been sort of mentioned is that there were some body language signs in the second half that weren't fantastic it was a game at home that got got out of out of hand and that doesn't happen happen too often but we give credit to the Hawks because they're well coached right now and and they remind me a lot of the Taipans last year where we got the three imports right Newball, Oliver and Machado were absolutely outstanding right now Gorgon and the Hawks have got their three Americans right with Jessup Harvey and Justin Simon and it makes it so much easier to build the rest of your team around when when you've got that. The Taipans have only got two of them right now and 
the opposition is focusing everything defensively on those two. Oliver's able to break through just through his pure athleticism and still contribute strongly. Machado, I mean, especially in that Hawks game, Justin Simon defended him incredibly tightly, and Machado still had yeah. a decent game, 14-9, but... Gee, I mean, when you've got a... He's probably the best defender in the league right now, Justin Simon, and, and that's just what they're able to do. So the second-half signs weren't fantastic. What what did you make when you, you watched it back? Well, I mean, when you when you look at Machado having to um, obviously be the main playmaker uh, pretty much in every possession, uh, and then also he has to turn around and then guard the, the, the you know their point guard for the opposing yeah. team. You know, I, I'm sure he's looking at it going, I've got to kind of do it at both ends like I mean last year they he could just palm it off to DJ Newball who yep. could then go make a move and go f- make something happen like you know DJ had the a move to get his own shot open but he would also drive and cause contact and just you know bully his way to the rim as well so he was he was putting the onus on the refs to make the decision you know, like put put the onus on the refs to, to make the call uh, is it a foul is it not but at least he's forcing the issue this year there doesn't seem to be anyone stepping up to to be that guy that's going to get their nose on the rim and force the refs to make a, a, a call so and we're seeing a lot of three-point attempts so this is this would be one of the questions that the orange army seems to be um, really frustrated I guess with is just too many three-point attempts when the other teams are putting their nose on the rim so it's someone from the Taipans that has to step up someone with the ability I should say that needs to be forcing the issue and taking contact and um, you know getting getting inside the paint for those uh, those easy, easy three or four footers, or at least going to the free throw line for an eighty to ninety percent couple of freebies. So you know that that's the question mark that the Taipans need to find desperately is that person that can fill that that spot of being a playmaker, a secondary playmaker that takes the pressure off Machado having to make a play every single trip down the floor. Yeah, it's a great point, but it's probably an easier question to ask than to have the obvious answer for right now. If you have a look at the options, I think Mirko Jarek is a much better catch-and-shoot player than somebody that's trying to create off the dribble, so I, I don't really want him to be that player. Jared Kenny's not the guy that's going to go and attack the basket and, and make plays, but he's a very steady player that can set up plays and run the offense for you, and as we saw on Saturday, he can knock down an open shot as well. Jordan Nata is not going to be that player. Fab Krislovic isn't that that player. And I don't think Majuk Deng is as well. He's probably not the guy that you want dribbling the ball too too much. So that means I think it's Mojave King and Kawat Noi. We've yep. seen Kawat fall in love with the three ball. He can make the three-point shot, but I like it when he when he gets aggressive and attacks the basket. And, and I think good things happen when he does that. And Mojave King, he just has to play aggressive when he gets on the court. If he does that, then I think he could be that player that provides that. But... You can't just give him minutes. He has to earn it and do and actually do what you want from him when he's out there. So I think it's Court Noy and Mojave King who hold the key. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we talk about uh, ability. Um, I, I agree. I think Jarek is a shooter. I don't think we should be trying to take him out of his role of of being that knockdown shooter guy. He, mm. He's got the coordinates down to be able to launch, and he's got the green light in, in my books. He's going to hit some tough ones, and he's going to hit some shots when uh, you know defense is right on his heels and the, the shot clock's winding down. So he, he he's probably one of the players that will be taking some tough shots from three. Yep. Um, but for Kuat Noy and Mojave King, I think Kuat first. Um, I do like it when he gets himself going, not from the three-point line to start. Like I think he's mm. when he gets himself going by getting the extra um, hustle plays, the putbacks, all the energy plays, and then yeah. stuff around the rim is where he should start his game. And then once the floor opens up a bit, then be able to knock down the threes. If you think you're going to lead the game by starting off and seeing how if you're catching fire from three. Um, I don't think that's the right sort of, you know, way to do that. With Mojave King, I, I know he's a young guy, and but he's got to take his opportunity. He's on the floor for, um, you know, for a short period of time, and it's because he's been a bit hesitant, and he's got to figure it out pretty quick because the team does need it. Both those two guys have at, um, athleticism and length and need to really step up and, and sort of take a bit of physicality and push through that and fight their way into the keyway to, to find finishes three or four feet from the bucket or on the rim uh, because they, they're the ones that have the ability. I think yep. I think you're right. The, the other players, the, the bigs are pick and roll, uh, pick and pop or pick and roll. Deng's going to be able to put it on the floor to throw down a dunk like he did. But oh, yeah. we're talking we're talking about a one-on-one beat a guy off the dribble with a bit of length and separation and then being able to um, finish ahead of that defender 
to put that ball in the bucket uh, right in the paint right under the bucket so those those two guys are pretty much going to be be the keys for the type ends to switch this season around because you know three games have been pretty close uh, within two two points or, or less um, and then there's the two blowouts and it's um, just the two Hawks games outside of that you know they, they've been a chance to win all of the others yep yeah. yeah. So I mean that that's kind of that's kind of what's what's opened up right now is is those um, those two sort of the issues I guess for for the club. Okay. Now on Saturday, I think at halftime a lot of us went into halftime thinking that a lot of the problems were solved. What we saw in the first half against the Bullets down in Brisbane was exactly what we were hoping to see from the Taipans. It was a changing the focus offensively, and they weren't taking as many three pointers. They were more aggressive, but. As a result, the three-pointers they were taking were probably the right shots. And as a result, they shot 8 of 12 for the half from three-point land. They shot 54% at halftime overall from the field. And, and they put up 55 points. They were leading by 15 points. And, you know, Cam Oliver had been on fire with 18 points. But everyone was really contributing. And at halftime, I think a lot of us were thinking that they'd, they'd found the way to, to unlock, unlock that door. I think they'd turned the corner. But like you said, they, they couldn't quite keep it going. No, and a lot of the stats are the same, and and uh, we go into into this interview in a, in a few moments uh, because there's there's a pretty key stat that that pops up in here, uh, and it's around three point attempts because most of the other numbers actually line up. But you're right, the first half, and and it's not all on Kwatnoi and Mojave King. Don't get me wrong, but when the team played like they did uh, against the Bullets in the first half. It was it was the mindset of go, of getting buckets at the rim, points mm-hmm. in the paint, uh, and then from that point establishing that bit, then the the outside shots open up. That's the mindset you got to have, and that's that's the way to do it right. I think you've got to establish inside and then work your way out, not the other way in. It's a very interesting stat actually, and it's probably a good segue into our interview of the week, Pikey, if I if I may, our uh, Statins Plumbing Company interview of the week. Uh, take a listen. Okay, so joining me on the podcast today, a very special interview. Taipans fans will know this former player very well. He's had an incredible career, 15 points a game, 8 rebounds uh, for his career. Won a championship in 2007. Was MVP of the Taipans club in 2009. I'm talking about none other than Dusty Reichart. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Thanks, Al, man. I appreciate you having me. Uh, can't wait for our chat. So let's jump straight into the the game. I guess that's the uh, that's the first thing I want to talk about, and then we can then we can take uh, take a trip down memory lane. Uh, just follow a bit of uh, your career path. But the game uh, just recently against the Bullets, a huge game, overtime win to the Bullets, a heartbreaking loss for the Taipans. Was it was it a character win for the Bullets, or do you think the Taipans snatched defeat from the jaws of victory? What was your take? Uh, being there in in the in this arena at Brisbane, definitely a um, bullets were lucky to get away with that one. I thought the Taipans were in control the whole game. Uh, then Cam Oliver followed out, and then you could just see the momentum kind of turn. Definitely, the bullets stole that one from the Taipans. It was, I think, it was definitely within the grasp of the Taipans to win that game. But uh, especially when Machado's there, he's such a floor general. He can control that game. He's such a great point guard to watch. And um, he missed a couple shots. I think he missed a game winner, a game tire down the stretch, but he hit some big ones as well. But losing Cam Oliver, uh, I think that was the, the game changer for the Taipans, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at the stats, and there's a lot of things that are they're pretty much the same in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, three-point percentages were 34, Taipans 33, the Bullets. Uh, 54% from two-point land for the Taipans. 55% the bullets. You, you kind of look, all these stats sort of seem similar, except the Taipans are shooting, they shot 44 three-pointers versus the bullets, uh, 27 three-points. They're getting up a, a lot of three-point attempts and it's maybe taking them away from driving in, getting paint penetration, actually forcing the refs to make a decision because a lot of the fans are saying, you know, it was the foul count, it was the, it was the refs, but they're just not getting, they're not putting the question to the refs by, you know, drawing that contact. They're, they're just shooting a lot of three-point attempts. What's, what, how do you see that game uh, from, from that perspective? I think, I think that's spot on, Al. Uh, one thing I've, I've noticed this year compared to last year is DJ Newbill is, is missed because he was that guy that gave you that attack into the rim and put that pressure on the refs. Uh, they don't really, it didn't seem like they had a guy that was easy to settle three-pointer. 
uh, even Cam Oliver, uh, he was settling for some threes as well. Um, so I think that guy has definitely missed like a DJ Newbill, but you definitely got to, you got to, you got to attack the rim. And as you would know, you got to put the, the, if it's a question mark, you got to put it on the refs. You've got to put that pressure to make, you know, make that call. Is it going to, are they going to make the call? If you don't know, you just, you're just not attacking. So they've been settling for three pointers, which can work. And, and you live and die by the three, but uh, unfortunately they died by the three and uh, didn't get to the rim and, and to the following that, that often. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I know Machado, like the, the starting five for the type ends, they are playing heavy minutes, so heavy rotation, so 30 to 35 minutes a game. There, there doesn't seem to be that second wave of, of that, that, uh, person that's able to really make things happen happening uh, in the key and uh, like you said get to the free throw line and, and make the play Scotty Machado can't do it at both ends where he's usually given the defensive assignment of you know the the opposing team's best player um, but there needs to be that that second uh, person that can attack so you know are we seeing um, the full effect now that DJ Newbel, um you know of his absence is that uh, is that sort of one of the biggest um, issues of the tight ends being one and five this season? I, I personally think so. I haven't seen too many of the games, um, to be honest with you. The first full game I saw was against the Bullets, but it was just evident. It was like DJ just gave him that extra. Not only did he give you that rim pressure and attack, he gave you the, the complete guard combo. Um, and they're missing that kind of guy now. And plus his energy. He brought that, that energy that I don't think anyone's really stepped up in that role yet. I thought that the young fellow Mo King would be kind of slotting into that role, but he didn't get much playing time uh, the other night. Uh, definitely got a lot of potential there, but I think one of the younger guys has got to step up. That uh, is it, Marco. I can't pronounce his last name. Marco Jarek. Marco Jarek. I love his intensity. I love that he goes. Sometimes he can go a little bit of, you know, sh- shot selection is a bit questionable uh, from my view, but then if he makes it, it, it could be a game changer. Uh, so I do like his energy, and I think some of the younger guys do got to step up. Big Nate's getting older, uh, but they do need someone. I think it's right for anyone to take. I mean, you're one in four, one in five. Someone's got to step up and, and try to fill those shoes, yeah, absolutely. in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, when we saw Mojave King in the preseason, uh, he did deliver that, that uh, you know, he did fill the void that Newville left. Uh, we saw some really promising signs, and, and everyone's thinking, okay, you know, here we go. This is uh, this is going to be awesome. Um, you know, he has been a bit shy uh, since the actual season started, and I've seen some uh, plays where he's had it in trans, which would be his bread and butter. He's attacking in trans, uh, and he didn't take the opportunity. Pulled it. Out. It was a one-on-one opportunity, basically. If he really took it, he pulled it out and sort of hand off to run the play. And, and like you said, one and five. There's no time to be questioning. Uh, you know what, what happens next. You've got to actually take those opportunities, and I guess we're not actually seeing him take those opportunities when he's given them and then now in in this game only two minutes and you know not much effect at all in the game we're starting to see him slip a bit behind so you know an 18 year old is a lot to ask but a lot of other teams are uh, are loading up with their uh, next star and, and they're delivering uh so it's it's is it a question of just grabbing the bull by the horns and just going for it with uh not with reckless abandon but is that you just have to make it happen I think so. I think, uh, you know, I know both. You're not at that level. You're not an NBL squad unless you've got the confidence from the coaching staff and the ability. He's definitely got there. So when you get out there, my biggest pet peeve with young kids when I was playing, I don't know if you had the same, but when you're on the court, you're on the court for a reason. Don't hesitate to shoot. If you're open, shoot it. Uh, I think the worst thing you can do as a young kid um, getting playing time is just be hesitant. Get it to a senior player. You're out there for a reason. Have confidence. If you're open, pull the trigger. Uh, Mo King, he's got the athletic ability. He's young, but I mean, he's out there for reason. Coaches believe in him, and he's got the ability. Take the opportunity, young kid. I mean, it's uh, you're not young. You're out there. You're just as good. You're yep. just as talented. Probably the most athletic guy on the team. Yeah. Um, take the bull by the horns and you, yep. you know make your own make your own way. That's make how I see destiny. it. Yep. Yep. Otherwise, you, you know, you'll be left behind, and uh, then you know the the draft won't go the way you hoped, and then you. Um, you know, you're backpedaling a bit, but absolutely, I 100% agree. Uh, I guess y- yourself, if we go back in time a little bit, someone that wasn't shy to pull the trigger, uh, and in particular, the 2007 uh, Bullet season, the championship winning team, uh, your thoughts on, uh, I guess, it's, it's been some time since since that point, but you always have your fond memories from, from that year. Talk to me about that year group. Uh, I'll just hit you up with the, you know, the, the stars of that year, obviously yourself, Abby Araz, the two imports. Sam McKinnon, uh, CJ Bruton, who you've seen at the Bullets, you know, right now uh, in the in the back in the back office there. 
uh, Mark Brackey, Stephen Black, uh, Adam Gibson, Chris Golding, a young Gibbo and a young Chris Golding, uh, but Dylan Boucher, Dan Egan, Brad Williamson, Michael Hill. Talk to me, talk to me about that year um, and, and what you remember the most. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, probably the most star-studded team I've ever been a part of. I mean, we've got just that list, I don't know, four or five Olympians at the time. It was uh, Sam, CJ, Blackie was on the verge of uh, the Olympic squad as well. Gibbo was just uh, entering as a young fellow. We had Bradkey on the bench, Dylan Boucher's Olympian, Evie Rao for Nigeria was Olympian. So we had like six, seven Olympians on that team, fully stacked. Uh, and I, I saw it, I saw ten players had ten plus years in the in uh, pro league as well. So it was the Olympia. I didn't realize that how many Olympians there were, but they're also ten year pros already. So you, you're right. The the team was stacked. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was crazy stacked, and uh, you know Eddie helped with that with his uh, with his pocketbook. But I uh, don't hate him for that or fault him at all. Um, but the one thing I do remember about that team is how we started off. I mean, we did we did run off twenty one straight wins. Uh, or 22, I can't remember. We started off the season terribly. We were like two and three or three and three. And I remember playing the Sydney Kings and we lost the Kings. And I look over on the sideline and Joey's kind of going like this. And How you can go point to his head, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's probably thinking, man, I spent so much money on this team. We've got all these guys. How can I make the chemistry work? And, and I just remember that moment. I'm thinking, man, we've got a squad, but what's happening? Nothing was just gelling. But from that point on, we made a run and we just went on a hell of a run. Guys started being cohesive, working, putting their egos to the side. Guys that were scorers and leading, like myself, CJ, Sam, we're all other teams when we come in. Uh, leading scorers, probably the main scoring option, all had to sit back, especially CJ. He had uh, he took a really you know back seat to most of the guys on that team. Averaged 14 a game, where he's typically averaging 20 plus in the league. So a lot of guys put their ego to the side and it was a fun ride. It was a fun ride. Wow. So, so egos aside and, and sacrifice for the team. Uh, and then the, the, the fueling of the fire was the wins kept piling up and, and momentum hit and you went on a tear. That's, that's, a great, that's a great story. And then Joey Wright, I'm sure at the end of it, went from this <laughs> to just this. Like what was, what was his progression, I guess, as a coach through that year? How did he handle the, the, the rest of that down part and then turn that momentum? How did he handle that? Yeah, yeah, good question. You know what? You know one thing about that team that we did have is everybody held each other accountable. As one of the only teams, you always have with the tie pants. Let's say take the years I was there. Uh, Dave Arnfield was always there trying to make the players, and Fernie wanted the players to make each other accountable. And it's always tough in that situation if you don't have a couple alpha dogs that everyone respects. And it's like we had Sam, we had CJ, we had Mark Bradkey, we had guys that were proven. So when they were holding each other accountable. I mean, it was just, they were proven, right? Yeah. They were proven yeah. Olympian, Australian, you know, basketball, pretty much gods. Yeah. yeah. So when they said something, you just, yes, okay. And we just held each other accountable. And it was, that was the beauty of it. It was, if someone's head got too big because they're the player of the, the, the week, you know, the 30-point game, next day at practice, it was on. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was just, it was just good. Cohesiveness, yeah. guys yeah. battled each other at practice. Um, it was unlike any atmosphere I've ever been a part of, um, and that's why we won. Yeah. It was just guys got along and, and didn't really take it too seriously winning if we won. Yeah. We just had the confidence. So if there, if there was, let, let's say there was fighting at practice, which I'm, I'm sure there was in the, heat of, in the heat of the moment, and guys, you know, chippy and all that stuff. Is that a good thing? Is that, is that what you need uh, for a successful team is to have that chippiness and, and have that edginess to, to you know, just – battle it out on the practice floor and knowing that there might be a few few punches thrown but you know the the end result is a, a lot more battle hardened team oh man 100 percent. even with the top hands we were there we had some battles at practice as well and they weren't they weren't pretty but that's the beauty of sport man it's uh you want to go across that you know white line they say white line fever but you got to go across there and battle if you don't push each other in practice how are you going to enjoy those games when you're down by 10 or if you're up you know it's the fourth quarter and you need to find that second, third win. Um, the best teams I've ever played on, we battled the second team at practice. And this, most often than not, the second team would be whoop up on us. They were better than us in practice, and they let us know. Yeah. And it was no different with that Bullets team. In the second squad, the young, cocky, yeah, Chris yeah. Goulding, Adam Gibson, Brad <laughs> Williams, and they weren't short of a mouth on them. <laughs> and they let, you know, they let you know when they beat them. And the greatest thing about it is um, if you're a WWF or WE fan, 
back back in the day, you know, the wrestling belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had a belt that would go up at the end, one end on top of the scoreboard. So if one team won, they grabbed the belt, walked around. It was a bit of like <laughs> strutting this wood. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit of rubbing it in, and it would reset every game. Yeah. And it, you know, it was, took it seriously and it was competitive, but at the end of the game, we had a bit of, you know, it was a bit of banter in his locker room and yep. it uh, kept things lively and, and fresh. Yep, great. And uh, I guess if I fast forward to a, a year that we shared together, uh, we didn't quite get it done, but uh, in, in my view, you know, if not the most successful Taipans team, because of the, a grand final win on the back of a, a Ron Dorsey triple, it sends us into an overtime, but that team in 2010-11, I, I honestly remember this, is that we had a losing record, but finished third uh, behind second place uh, Townsville Crocs. So, but then going on that tear, we, ha- we had a moment a little bit before the end of the season where we're like, are we going to, you know, what are we going to do here? We've got, we got one more, one more push, and we, you know, went on a tear to finish out the season, still managed to get third, and then uh, obviously beat Townsville uh, who had the higher seed and then end up playing New Zealand in the grand final to win uh, at home as well in a you know a three game uh, grand final series but that team there do you remember much from uh, from the group that we had and obviously we still had the battles as well but uh, that was a fun year and, and a great way to finish yeah I agree that was um, you know the type I mean we came short we didn't win the championship we came close the game up but from a team perspective the guys getting along from the imports, I mean, I love that team. That was one of the funnest teams to be on. And and what I remember is, like you said, we were kind of had a losing season. We're 50-50. And I thought, you know what saved us was Cyclone Yassi because Fernie used to just be like, let's go, boys, let's go. And I think we were going to actually have practice. And there was a hurricane, and the, the government warning was, like, everyone get out, get to shelter, and yeah. Fernie wanted to throw down practice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they forced us to yeah. kind of get rested. Yes. And then we went on that chair. And we yeah. can thank Cyclone Yassi for that. That's my memory. Yeah, I, um, I agree. And you know what? Today is actually the 2nd of February was the day that Cyclone Yassi uh, came through. So it is actually an anniversary of Cyclone Yassi. But I, I do recall <laughs> that we were just exhausted. Like we we battled like so much and we were just so fatigued. We needed to press the reset button. And you're right, that that did actually uh, reset things. And then once guys a bit more fresh were able to implement all the stuff that we were so disciplined in drilling that, you know, we actually took off um, and it just went on and kept going into, into just an awesome finish that people weren't expecting in a year following uh, the GFC uh, kind of trail end. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing uh, year, really. Uh, and it, um, you weren't there the year before, but it was just amazing how we got there. We brought in some new players like yourself, but the year before, which was, you know, cans uh, come from the ashes. We were at the uh, at the is it Earlville or Star one of the yeah. one of the shopping centers yeah. giving away free tickets. Giving we away. couldn't give away free tickets, right? And then <laughs> next year, come on a grand final, and then then. Man, Dorsey, that game against New Zealand when he hit that crazy off-balance three. Yeah, yeah. Best game I've ever been a part of. Just electricity at the Cairns Convention Center would just – it's never been matched in my lifetime. Yeah. And that was one of the beauty things about playing in Cairns was just when things were going, the community really got behind you in that atmosphere. You could play – like in Brisbane, we had the best team, arguably, you know, second or first best team all time. We were just went on a tear in 07. But Brisbane Convention Center was dead. We didn't have any electricity, and it was terrible to play in front of. Wow. But can't, man. Yeah. It, we were at 500. We went on that run, and it was just the whole city was orange. It was just, man, it was just awesome. That, what made my experience so great was the community. Wow, fantastic. And, and I know what you're talking about. In, in Brisbane at the library, it, was, it used to be called <laughs> Dubbed the Library because the acoustics were so soft. And, and, but you're also saying that ticket sales weren't exactly through the roof, even though it was a, just an awesome year, hey? It, you know, it's capacity, like three, three and a half grand uh, capacity. We did have a full, but it was all corporate tickets, right? You know, the corporate crowd, they just give away free tickets, whoever wants them. Yeah, so there was no, not passionate there was no of- atmosphere, like no young kids. There yeah. was no families. Um, we did get to the, uh, is it Bundo for the grand final in the right. playoffs? Yeah. We had packed that. It was 12, 14 or 15,000 yeah. atmosphere because we had the kids, the families, you know, the general mission can get in there. But when you just got the corporate tickets, yeah. 
you just don't get that same electricity. Yeah, and that's and what the, the, the buy-in of the fans, uh, well, they're sometimes not fans, but they, they love the game, but they're not as, as hardcore as you, as you mentioned. Uh, Nissan Arena, how does that look and how does that compare? Um, that's obviously a bigger, bigger stadium and, and a good fit for bullet time. Yeah, I don't know what it's like to play there for the players, but from an atmosphere point of view, uh, it's, it's, you can feel electricity in the air. They've got pregame entertainment, which you like to see coming in, so you can feel the kind of buzz, the game day buzz. Uh, it's a bigger stadium. I think five and a bit thousand can fit in there. They've done a great job, man. It's, um, it's right off the M1, right in Mount Gravette. So you get a lot of the young families in there. You get the atmosphere. You get a bit of the corporates as well with the, with the seating. They got some corporate boxes. It's, um, Overall, I enjoy watching it as a fan. I think yeah. it's a, it's a great place. Yeah, and uh, I guess if we bring it back into the present now, how do you the the league in general? How do you rate uh, the players, the athleticism compared to uh, when when you were playing and when we were playing? Um, how do you how do you sort of see the leagues uh, shift into uh, into twenty twenty one? How do you compare this season? You know, it's always hard. You know, we, we consider ourselves, I guess, old heads is what they call them now. We're yeah. the old heads. And yeah. I don't want to sit there. And it's every era is different. And obviously, the difference what I've seen is the athletic ability from everybody. Not only the guards. There's no big men in the league anymore. There's there's a couple, but there's no slow lumbering. And I'm not having a dig at Paul Rees or you know uh, Ben Pepper or, yeah. or even any of those guys. But there's no the the center's gone. It's yeah. obsolete. It seems. Like. And if the center is there, it's like a Sam Froling. It's a DJ. They're mobile. They can shoot threes. Um, I think that's where it's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, where when we were playing even in, I know, early 2000s, and um, I like it. I like the up and down style, and I'm really jealous of this new NBA. They get to play NBA teams when times are good. Yeah. I wish I could have played an NBA preseason over, you know, Oklahoma, LA Clippers. Uh, that's everyone, everyone's dream to see if you can match up, and that's where I wish a Larry Kesselman was running the league when I was around because right. – it's so much more professional now. Social media, it's it's on SPS, it's on TV. It's just a better run league overall. It's really moved and, and progressed a lot. Yeah, you did, and and on court, you definitely don't walk the ball at four and roll the ball into the post and and everyone just sort of uh, see what see what the post is going to do offensively. It's really a, a guard guards game. Bigs pick and pick and roll and dunk, or pick and pop and, and knock that three down stretch the floor. Like it's really a sort of a numbers game now. Uh, so yeah, definitely. If you're if you're a big and you're rolling, you definitely have to finish above the rim. Otherwise, your shot's getting sent by Cam Oliver or, or some of the bigs in the in the league. Yeah, hundred percent. And then it's uh, it's fun to watch for a fan. It's uh, you don't want to see slow lumbering guys just bang bodies back and forth. It's fun. I miss that part of the game. Um, but it's nice. You want to see athleticism. Yeah. Uh, you want to see the guys going up down the Ural steps. You want to see the big men, you know, stepping out hitting threes. Or that massive dunk Cam Oliver had, what is it, two, two three weeks ago? Yeah, where he was yeah, closer yeah. to two guys. Uh, over Kings, Man, that's yeah. what you want to see. Yeah, it made exactly. Sports Center, I think. It made yeah. a Sports Center highlight in the, the US. States. Yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah, in the US Sports Center as well, right? Like the number one player mm-hmm. in the US. So it's uh, we're seeing these amazing feats on our, you know, on our home soil. But uh, it's just amazing. Um, look, Dusty, it, time after basketball now, your transition, it's changed a bit. Um, and your, your family's grown as well. Two daughters now, of course, and, and married with, to Meg. Um, but how's life after basketball been for Dusty Reichardt? It's, it's, it's been pretty good, man, to be honest with you. The transition is never easy. Um, I prepared. I thought I had the education, got my MBA and some other degrees. And, and the transition, that helped get me a foot in the door. But, I mean, it's hard because all we know is playing basketball. All we know is, you know, these people that run businesses or corporates, they want to have a beer with us. And when you get out and step out of the uniform and actually into the workplace, you're at the entry level, man. And, and <laughs> unless they follow basketball, they're like, man, why is a mid 30 something playing, uh, starting at an entry level? And it's kind of, it brings you, or if, if you had a high opinion of yourself, it really brings you back down to earth, man. I tell you what. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's good. I mean, it's a uh, current job at Latrobe Financial is great. And finance is where I want to be. And it, it challenges you from day to day. And it's, um, yeah, I can't complain. It's just another. In basketball, you're competing every day in practice or game day. This is another level. You just got to find your different niche and transition the best you can uh, and just keep a positive head because it's not easy, but um, everyone's got to start somewhere. Dusty Reichert, thank you so much for joining me on the on the podcast. It's been great to chat, uh, and I can't wait to uh, do it again sometime soon. Thanks for having me on.
Great to chat with the man, Dusty Reichardt, and we certainly thank him for his time uh, coming on the Pikey and Lau show. And I really enjoyed hearing a lot of his insights and especially talking about some of the Taipans days. You know, we, we had a pretty similar start to uh, the Taipans this year. It was a bit of a shaky start. Um, mm-hmm. There was a point there where we turned things around and then in that 2010 uh, 2011 season uh, able to once you get on a tear and the juices are flowing the mojo's there then anything can happen absolutely we even saw that last year so that's not lose hope for the Taipans they were two and six last year and ended up one game out from the from the grand final but Laos um you caught Dusty at the back end of his career obviously you had that great run with him in, in that season that you mentioned what was he like to play with at that point of his of his career was he uh, was he someone more than willing to pass on his his knowledge yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was funny. Um, you know, he wasn't a, a loud, vocal kind of guy. He'd lead by example and lead by his actions. Uh, just a, a you know a class act and a consummate professional. But it was always good to hear the stories. Uh, once he was settled down and and you got talking with him. Um, he really opened up and, and get on a roll of uh, some pretty pretty funny stories. And that's what you want as a young player coming in is, is getting that wisdom but also getting uh, the fun stuff. But, um, you know, he, he played with some greats. He, uh, you know, the Olympians, that 2007 uh, Bullets team was yeah. loaded. Uh, and it's just good to see good to see him in, a, in living in Brisbane, but being able to go to the games um, with his former teammate Sam McKinnon as the GM of Bullets, uh, former teammate CJ Bruton as the, uh, the assistant coach of the Bullets. So he's uh, he's really enjoying his watching the hoops and not having to go through the aches and pains uh, of actually playing. But I'm, he he misses the games, but you know he, he's well settled into his new life as a dad of uh, two two little girls and, and married mm-hmm. to Meg, of course. But no, he, he was a he was a really good teammate and a great guy to have around the locker room great to hear his insights probably from an outsider's perspective about the taipans as well and the things that he pointed out um did he make you think a little bit differently about the way this taipans team is playing just to get that fresh perspective yeah it did actually and it, it kind of it sort of solidified my, my view um as well that you know what we spoke about just before with with Kawada and, and Mojave King and uh, just guys once they step on the floor they're, they're on there for a reason and that's what Dusty drilled home about when when the young guys come on the floor they're, they're on there for a reason and they're on there to take their opportunity you don't want to just be submissive to the the veterans you want to see they want to be aggressive they they want to show what they can do uh, and we're just seeing uh, King just being a bit hesitant. Um, you know, relaying to the the vets and running the play, and that that's not going to be that's not going to be what gets him to moving forward, and, and certainly putting in a strong position in the draft. When he's got a one on one situation in trans, he's got to he's got to take that opportunity and get to the rack and use his athleticism and length, and just and just switch things up a bit because being timid is not going to get it done. Uh, and this club is certainly crying out for someone to step up. And uh, if anyone that can do that, it's a, it's a young buck with fresh legs oh. and uh, probably the most athletic on the team, as Dusty mentioned. Um, you know, it, it's his moment to, to, to grab hold of, basically. Now, Laos, two more games last week for the Taipans, as we've talked about. Firstly against the Hawks and then the Bullets and our MVP tracker, the MVP of the Cairns Taipans here on the Pikey and Laos show, talking Taipans. The votes are in, thanks to Cairns Total Physio. Tom Ma, our good friend there, is, has cast his votes. And for the Thursday night home game against the Hawks, we've got three votes, Cam Oliver, two votes, Mirko Jerick, and one vote, Scott Machado. And then the overtime game against the Bullets on Saturday, we've got three votes, Scott Machado, two votes, Jared Kenny, one vote for Majuk Deng. And that means, Laos, our leaderboard... Looks a little bit like this after the opening three rounds of the NBL season for the Taipans. We got Cam Oliver, probably not surprisingly, Laos, out in front on 14 votes after the opening six games. Scott Machado not far behind, 10 votes. Then we've got Coit Noy on four, Mirko Jerick on four, Jared Kenny on two, Majuk Deng on two. Look forward to adding two more games against the breakers to that. Next weekend, Lows, as we as we keep moving on on this week's show. Now, a couple more things I want to get your thoughts on about the the overtime game in Brisbane. Majuk Deng and Cam Oliver, they had big games. They combined 36 points, 14 rebounds. They both shot the ball pretty well. I think they combined 14 of 22 from the field, but neither of them there in overtime because they had fouled out. Yeah. How much of an impact did that have on the on the result? 
Well, it's been a bit of a, a, a theme with Oliver getting some fouls in there. A couple of games he's had early fouls and then um, he's managed to maintain and keep his hands out. I think that you're going to have to expect one or two calls from the ref each game that you can't control. That might be iffy, purely because the big often gets often gets the foul call on him. The big is the disadvantage um, because the, the guard will often get the, the way of the refs. The, the guard will get the call in their favour, and the bigs uh, are, are usually out of favour, and I know that from experience. Mm-hmm. So you have to chalk up one or two fouls automatically as a, as a given. Can't control it. You were there, but you weren't there or something, and the refs have you know, sided with the guards. The, it's the fouls that you can control, the reaching in fouls, uh, and the ones that you don't need. I think, for me, I could quantify... A bad, dumb foul, let's say. Let's call it, you know, I don't want to call it a dumb foul, but it's not a smart foul when you just reach in and give away, um, you know, give away a foul. Mm. I could quantify that as worth about six to eight points because you'd be sitting down for five minutes, let's say, five to ten minutes per unsmart foul. And then you know your ability as a as a player in your position, like Cam Oliver is a starter, he's 30, 35 minutes a game. If he has to sit out for five to ten minutes, that's all that sh- uh, rim protection gone for that amount yeah. of time. Um, it's it's almost easy picking sometimes um, for for their top players to then you know have out the second five that comes into the game from the tight ends. You know they're going to have their limitations. They, they don't have the athletic ability of, of Oliver, so you know they're going to put on buckets. So I would quantify each unsmart foul as worth um, about six to eight points to the opposition. So if you think about it like that, keep your hands out, and then you can stay in the game longer. Um, then you know those sorts of things don't come into play like they have in this overtime game. Sitting down with five fouls, you want to have a few up your sleeve for sure. So it's, a, it's quite a discipline thing, and it's understanding. You know, it's just not worth reaching in, especially those the reaching in fouls are, are are not smart and they don't help. And it's just lazy. You've got to put your body in the position as best you can, get your feet right. And you know that one or two fouls are going to just happen naturally. And you know you've got, you know, that third foul is is when you really got to put the brakes on. But when you reach in and, you know, a couple of times and then there's two fouls and you're sitting close to four or five, um, it's really danger sign. So that that's a habit that has to change. Uh, and it happened obviously for, for Deng as well. And you're right, the, the, that changed the course of the game, didn't it? The, the bullets got their tails up. They could sense the, the momentum shift. They started attacking more. They started getting to the line more. And it just it turned the tables for the bullets in that game. On a more positive note, how huge were the two threes from Jared Kenny? One to force the overtime in the first place and then one early in overtime. And then there was two massive, massive shots from Scott Machado to, to level scores up twice late in overtime, even though the Bullets still then had the last play and Vic Law finished it. But, but gee, the, the, those were some massive shots by by JK and, and Machado. Well, and, and they came off penetration and drawing two, getting into the paint and then finding the open player rather than, you know, just passing around the horn and jacking threes. There was actually, there was that movement in and, and it drew, like I said, drew the, drew the defenders in and that's when you get your open threes and, and they knocked it down to, to Kenny's credit. You know, he splashed it in a, in a, um, in, you know, crucial part of the game. And, and then even Machado's one, I remember he dished it out, got out to the three point line to, to reposition himself and then the ball came back to him, it found him, but it came off that movement and that's what was, you know, they go away from during the game and that's what's been so frustrating for a lot of the fans. But, uh, no, huge buck. It's huge threes down the stretch. Like I said, the, the stats, there's not much in it. Like, I know they're staring down one and five. But there's just, it's just a slight change um, that they need to change that mindset. And these games can be flipped around into their favor. And then all of a sudden, no one's asking questions. Mm. No one's saying, oh, you know, you know, where, where are the, where's all the leadership? Where's the wins? Where's all this and that? It can change just like that. Okay, Laz, why don't we get to... Get to the Orange Army and some of their burning questions. What are some of the questions they've raised about the type ends that you might like to, to touch on and, and try to give some answers to? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the Orange Army obviously frustrated and uh, that can often uh, veer off into tangents of outbursts <laughs> and things on the, uh, the, uh, the, group, uh, the group page. Uh, but but uh, they're, they're loving following the games, of course, and that's what we love about them. They're always passionate fans. Uh, but number one, their energy. So they're noticing a lot of inconsistencies, I guess, um, playing one good half and then one not good half. Like, what's going on there? Um, that's sort of the, uh, the first one, I guess. So let's address a bit of that. 
they've found in recent games that when they've raised the intensity on the defensive end, they're starting to put the, the opposing team on the back foot and then the tight ends are making a run. And so that, that's what Mike Kelly is demanding as well. How can they sustain that for the full the full 40 minutes? And, and that's one of the things that's sort of frustrating uh, the, the fans. And of course, we can all, we can all see that there. There is a big sort of difference in, in how each half uh, sort of plays out. With, the, with this team, that there are heavy rotations in the starting five, you know, 30 to 35 minutes um, for the most part for the starting five. But, you know, they do rotate in the, the bench. Uh, but just the the way Mike Kelly is uh, rotating these players, um, the the bench is not quite giving him as much confidence to keep the game rolling as um, as the starters. Now, some of those combinations that come off the bench are actually probably better defensive combinations than some of the starters together. So often when Fab and um, you know even Blagojevic co- comes on, there's actually a pretty fresh sort of a group that really lifts the intensity. But that as a whole, the team can't sustain that that effort for the full game so they're, they're trying to find how how they can do that now we spoke about it before Machado can't be the the only playmaker every time and then defend at a high level you know in terms of that high energy defense that was we're talking about so what they need to find is that offensive player that can share the load um, of, of um, you know getting the ball on the hoop get, uh, getting the ball on the rim and just giving Ricciardo a bit of a rest. <laughs> so that's the first thing is balancing out that offensive attack so Machado doesn't have to do everything. That That's probably the number one thing that's hard to do is in terms of maintaining that defensive energy. Do, do you agree with, with that kind of sentiment, with the, with the way the rotations are? Is that defense actually sustainable for a full game? Well... It has to be, but but so far we haven't seen it happen for for anywhere close to four quarters, have we? We saw it the second half against Melbourne. We saw it the maybe the first seven minutes against the Hawks, and at times against the Bullets. And the other part of that is is not. It seems like they get a bit dejected when yep. it doesn't go their way for a bit. So it's got to be a, a a step up of mental toughness, I guess, mm. in in sticking with it and and not sort of resorting to not 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 fighting each other. But you could see they're getting frustrated uh, with each other pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but and that that takes a bit of discipline. That certainly takes a bit of discipline and leadership to to keep everyone together and, and say next play we got this. Next play, let's move on. Let's pick up that that rotation there. Let's keep talking there, guys. Stay positive. Let's go. Let's go. So there's well, a bit it, of uh, it's it's interesting because we've talked about who needs to step up and be more aggressive offensively. But at the defensive end, does somebody just have to take the bull by the horns and be the leader defensively? I don't know who it is, and maybe you can think of someone who it should be, but DJ Newbel was that person last last season. We can't keep harping back to him. He's not here. We can't just keep blaming everything on, on him not yeah. being here. But does somebody need to become the defensive leader of this group? Because, as you said, it can't be Machado because he, he's just doing everything. And, yeah. you know, Cam Oliver's the sort of defender that can come in and block shots from nowhere, but maybe he's not a consistent defender. Does somebody need to become the leader defensively to set the tone? Well, I, I think so. I think DJ Newber was a, just a, a luxury now that the mm. Taipans are missing so dearly. So at the defensive end, he would he would be have the number one assignment. And so who who has the, the ability and the maturity, I guess? Uh, Kawat Noy and Mojave King don't quite have that battle-hardened defensive maturity mm. that can really lock in. If I think of um, if I think of an Aaron Grabo that used to just focus yep. in on his defensive assignment, he would get inside that player's grill mm-hmm. and just stick to him like glue and just make it so hard. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's someone that has to almost sacrifice, you know, any kind of um, you know the the offensive focus and really just go. I'm the guy that's going to share the load defensively on the on their number one player um, now. Tyler Harvey obviously was is a improving a handful, but you know it's just someone that can come in five to ten minutes that can rough up someone even just just get in the grill of a play that makes it uncomfortable that puts them on the back foot, um, and then you know Machado can um, guard the the next player along the the, the two man or something like that where mm. uh, it's not as much of a threat. So yeah, I think you're right. I think someone has to put their hand up defensively. Is it a Jared Kenny that's going to shoulder that kind of workload? I think that it's whatever whoever it is, it's a going to be a conscious decision that's like. I've got to step up 
and yeah. and be that guy and get in the grill and just give it a try. Like, got to we've got to do something to get in the face of the opposition rather than making it so easy in the first half. It just seems like players are getting into the game so so easily and it's just exchanging mm. shots and you know players are feeling it out too easy there, there's got to be a change in mindset certainly at that that defensive uh, point point guard or guard position that's going to help Jordan Machado Artai. out I wonder if it could be Jordan Artai he's a guy who he's he's played I think 70 or 80 NBL games now but never been anything more than a, a spot minute type guy I wonder if this is a way he in the NBL he can find his role to play big minutes by being that Defensive presence, he can, he can, he could score if he's open. But I wonder if, wonder if this is a role he can finally find a way to actually make himself part of a rotation in in the NBL. Well, it might, it might be something where you just you rotate him in and see. Um, I, yeah. I, I would. He's going to have his limitations. Like I think a Jared Kenny's a lot quicker. Um, even yeah. a Jarek, I would even put in there to rough up. Jarek's got the exact sort of DNA that could get oh, under someone's skin. Maybe you've got to unleash Jarek, you know, release the hounds like <laughs> Jarek and a few others or, or at least give me a, a, a combination of five players that to a man, they go, right, this is our best defensive five. We're actually going to mm. get something done here. Uh, and then hopefully you've got enough firepower offensively in that group to keep the keep the scoreboard ticking over. Um, but you just need you just need a combination that can get stops. I'm not seeing multiple stops in a row. Um, that's going to give um, give, give the Taipans a, a sense of belief that they can slow down the bleeding if it's happening, um, and really you know get in get under these shooters that are coming in and just knocking threes down at uh, at a high rate at a high clip. So yeah, there's definitely some uh, you know looking in the mirror kind of situations going on and. and Finding that offensive threats, as we spoke about, and then finding that defensive stopper or a defensive combination of five that's going to get it done. Someone just needs to get it done. A group needs to get it done, and they've got to make a conscious decision. They're going to be well-rested after this you know, this game on the weekend, and that'll do them wonders, I have no doubt. And hopefully they can sort of put a good couple of games together against a back-to-back games against New Zealand. Yeah, the I will. I'll jump in. I'll jump into the second burning one. The refs. The refs are this. The refs are that. The bloody refs made all the, the bad <laughs> calls for the Taipans, and, and then others. Others will chime in and say it, it wasn't the refs. It was you know our shooting from outside. All this stuff. The big point with Dusty in that interview was was this: the the number of threes getting taken, um, more than ten, more than you know, it was 14, 44 threes to uh, twenty seven. So yeah. 17 more threes attempted. Now, what that means is that 17 times you're not taking it into the keyway to force the refs to make a decision. 17 times you're taking the decision out of the refs. The refs don't have to do anything when you jack up a three. So when the opposing team, the, the bullets, when they're attacking... They not only went went to the rim, went to the went to the rack, and were able to finish maybe at fifty percent anyway. But when they were fouled, they were going to the free throw line for ninety percent finish um, shooting from the strike. So it twofold. One, you 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 get in there and you, you force the refs to make a call. Then you're heading to a really high percentage free shots. If you if you don't go in there, then you're just throwing away easy easy money. So when it's a game as tight as it was, going overtime and then eventually one of you know one hundred five to one hundred three, you look back, all the other the shooting percentages are the same: thirty five percent from three, fifty four percent from two point land. Both teams yeah. shot that at that. The only difference then is this: the number of threes taken, and that's it's just not the right balance. They started the first half inside and then worked their way out in the second half. They dropped the bundle, they fouled, and the type and shot more threes than the opposition. Um, and it just it just killed their their whole sort of momentum. I, I thought I I thought they still held their body language pretty good for the game because it was such a tight game. But yeah. to blow us fifteen point lead, I think that's snatching defeat from the jaws of victory rather than saying it was a bullets character win. But uh, yeah, the the refs I don't think were the problem. There's always going to be one or two calls that don't go your way, unavoidable or whatever. But I the, certainly didn't for me didn't control the real story of this game. I, I got agree. I got one more, one more one more quick one more burning sort of question from uh from the fans uh, from the Orange Army and it's uh on Mojave King and and what can he do should he be getting more time should he be you know doing more is he the is he the answer that we're we're looking for you said it before players have got to earn their minutes 
He was given two minutes on the game. The commentators said we want to see more of him. The NBL obviously has an onus on all, all um, next stars, you know, being put on a bit of a platform. And and I I agree with what you said earlier, though. They've got to earn their minutes. And I certainly agree with Dusty Reichert in that he's got to take his opportunities a lot more and not be shy and not be timid and not be submissive to the veterans. Uh, yeah. Because I, I think Scotty Machado and Cam Oliver would command a, a big presence. They're, they're stars. Yeah. They're, you know, they're... Um, you know, they're natural athletes and they look pretty imposing. They're, they're, they're specimens, you know, so you need, you'd naturally be, you know, coming into a situation where they had a successful season before and this is a new year, but you've got to take your opportunity. And one of Mojave's strengths is in transition. So when he sees a one-on-one situation in front of him and he's got the ball and everyone's still trying to get back, He's actually got to take that, and that's what the team expects him to do. That's what the coach certainly wants and expects him to do. So he's got to he's got to be pulled up when he when he pulls it out and just you know is a bit submissive and passes off to the vet. I think the coach would actually have to go at that and say no, like you this is yeah. that's not why you're in the game. And well, as Dusty well, just on that, I think that's exactly what happened on on Thursday night. He took nine shots for the game, but five of them were three pointers. He shot one of nine. He had three turnovers. The tight ends were minus 19 when he was on the floor. And the he scored three points, and that was just from the LU inbounds pass from Jared Kenny where he, he dunked it and got the end one. That was his yeah. only score in the game when he was forced to be aggressive because of Jared Kenny's pass. So the way he played on Thursday night was exactly the opposite of what you're, you're asking for. I, I think his strengths are, like I said, in trans, getting on the rim, um, in the half court, working his way in with his length and getting he'll be able to get part he'll be taller than his defender pretty much all the time and he'll have athletic um, athleticism on his opponent as well as just you know arm length and ability to to you know uh, be up above the rim it's where he's got to be he's got to start at the rim and being aggressive and then work his way back from there he shouldn't be starting with uh, multiple threes trying to get himself going that way he can hit the three but that's not where that's not your starting point. Your starting point is aggressive on the rim and taking hits. Like it's it's going to be once we see it. Once we see him make that conscious decision of like I'm for real. I'm going to do this, and he actually goes. It's going to be impressive. Like we we are waiting for it. We've seen it in the preseason. That's what mm-hmm. we're so excited about. We've seen it, and we just want him to to take his opportunity and do it. But as a young guy, you know you you've got to become a man and and. and as a mature sort of decision, you, you got to make that call and be like, no, nah, I'm in it for real and I'm taking my opportunity. So that's that's the moment that we're waiting for and that's the, the 12 kind of points we're missing from uh, no DJ Newbull around. Um, yeah. But it but is a lot. It's a lot of uh, pressure on the youngster. But, you know, as we're seeing with a lot of these other teams, Giddy's performing really well. Justinian Jessup's performing really well. Mm-hmm. Guys are operating within their, with what they do best in their, in their strengths. Um, so yeah, Vasilovic but, at the Kings. He had twenty eight points last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and you know, Mojave will get there. He he will get there. He's too talented not to. Uh, and uh, you know, I know his coach, the coaches that have coached him recently, and that they all um, certainly you know sing his praises. But you know, this is a jump for him, and he'll have he'll have to make that that jump mentally and uh, with his maturity. I'm sure he'll get there. But boy, the Taipans need it now. <laughs> mm, absolutely. This episode of the Pikey and Lowes Show is proudly brought to you by Cairns Total Physio. Less pain, more life. And Statton's Plumbing Company. Plumbers who care. Well, speaking of now, it's two games in round four. Saturday night at the Pop-Up Arena, then back back again on Monday night. Both games against the New Zealand Breakers. So the Taipans on a five-game losing streak. The Breakers are yet to win a game this season. They've only played two games. Both were in Adelaide. And they haven't played since last Wednesday night, so they'll be they'll be well and truly fresh after their trip to Perth was cancelled. Um, what are you expecting out of these two games? Well, it's hard to it's hard to know what to expect at the mm. moment. Most of the predictions ha- have fallen uh, flat. I think with the rested Taipans, I, I feel like this is another moment where they can't let another opportunity pass pass them by. Um, but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to decide to to stick together. They're gonna have to decide to um, you know have those good habits, have the have the right mindset. 
not drop their bundle. Uh, we know it's sort of right there. This thing can turn around, and once they once they do fall in that groove, um, you know they will feel obviously a whole lot better about it. I think they can do it with with the with the time off that they've had. I'm I'm expecting um, a, a really good showing on on Saturday night for sure. What I'm scared about from a Taipan's point of view is Lamar Patterson for the Breakers. We've seen how good he can be the last two years at the Bullets. He was a big signing for the Breakers. Last time he played, he went scoreless. He only played less than 15 minutes for the game in Adelaide. He's now had a week and a half to let that build up in him, for him to get hungry enough to, to rebound from that. And to be honest, I think these two games against the Taipans will determine if he stays at the Breakers or not this season. I think it's it's probably that terminal if he has two more bad games. So we just can't let him catch fire. And certainly with COVID, you need to prepare more in advance. So I'd say mm. that there's already someone waiting in the wings. But Potentially, um, yeah. yeah, when you when you awaken a bear um, who's been in hibernation for a while, he's going to come out swinging. And um, I think you're right. I think Lamar Patterson will have a point to prove for these two games, whether that means he goes a bit more individual. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe he gets his... You know his uh, allotment of uh, of points, but then starves the rest of the team with that team mm-hmm. play. We're, we'll wait and see. I'm not sure if he has a good handle on his health and fitness when no one's around in the off season, where it's yep. you know it's easy to be by yourself and and call it a day and just get up some shots. Like it, the real hard work uh, and getting yourself in game shape. I think he's probably more in the routine of the mindset that he'll get into game shape from mid-season onwards, yeah. you know, and he'll rock up in whatever fitness that he arrives in. Um, well, that, but, that's yeah. three years in a row now, so I think, I think you're on the money. Uh, yeah, well, I, but I, I do think it's it's a dire situation for him should he, mm. you know, lay an egg and, you know, score zero and not have the impact that they've, they're have they paying him for. Uh, he'll certainly be the first one uh, on an aeroplane for sure. So, yeah, dang, a dangerous uh, a bear with a, a sore foot <laughs> in another bear analogy. <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be angry and I think he'll he'll be aggressive and I think he's very talented. You know, the, the Taipans need to stay focused. Uh, they they need to get closer together as a team um, rather than fracture and splay, um, you know, the other other direction. But with a bit of time off, uh, I think they've had a chance to lick their wounds and, and maybe even check themselves in the mirror as well. I mean, they, they need that effort and intensity that, that Coach Kelly's been demanding and hopefully they can they can put four, four quarters together. You mentioned Patterson taking a lot of shots. There's not going to be many spare shots there at the Breakers this season with the Webster brothers. How many shots are you expecting them to have between them over these two games? I've I've been really impressed with Ty Webster. I think yeah. um, he's really shone for the for the Breakers for the, those couple of games, and uh, yeah, he's kind of it's, it's exciting to watch. Uh, Corey's certainly going to um, have his fair, fair share at the mm. the feasting table uh, in terms of uh, the, the number of uh, attempts and things like that. So both both very talented brothers, and um, I, I'm going uh, for them to average thirty shots between them. Across the yeah, tonight. yeah, what do you for sure. Without a, without a doubt, they probably even <laughs> argue about it over the dinner table, uh, like they have uh, from when they were little kids, uh, who was sort of scoring more. So I dare say there's a, there's a bit of a, a side bet between them um, that, that they can get the number of attempts up, or who who can who can outshine the other brother. But uh, I'm sure they love and playing together, uh, and I'm sure they'd love to have mm. some wins as well. But um, yeah, certainly uh, not much left for the rest of the crew, eh? Hey? <laughs> no, but from a Taipan's point of view. Um... What have you heard this week? How good do you think it's been to actually have a full week's preparation? Look, I think rest would be the the aim of the game um, for these. Uh, have, uh, separate themselves from these first six games that you got to put it in its place. Uh, and it's hard as a as a coach to give that time off, knowing that there's so much work to be done. But sometimes less is more, and I think that'll be the mantra. Um, for the, for this week, uh, heading into you know such a big doubleheader for them, um, you know this is what game six and seven home. So um, yeah, this is uh, this is crucial before the last home game before going into the bubble. So it's such a big weekend and a lot of, a lot at stake for uh, for the boys. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground again here on the Pikey and Laos show. Laos, I've had a. It's not always fun when you're on a, on a losing slide to dissect it all, but we've we've tried to hopefully find some answers and to also to provide some answers to some of the fans' questions as well. We know that it can be frustrating when you're the supporter of a team that's losing, so hopefully we've tried to provide you some insight and and also some some hope moving forward into these two games against the New Zealand Breakers 
this weekend. Make sure you get out there and support the Taipan still Saturday night and Monday night. We don't know how many more home games we've got to look forward to, so make the most of them while the team is in town. Big thank you to Dusty Reichardt. It was a lot of it's always fun hearing ex teammates catch up and that was no different Laos. I really enjoyed that conversation you had with Dusty. Really enjoyed all of your insights once again. It was a pleasure to spend this hour with you again, Laos. I'll sign off. I'm Chris Pike and and leave you with the Taipans legend, Alex Loughton. Mate, this season can turn on a dime. We've seen it before and we'll see it again. The boys uh, will come together and always worth backing the lads. Uh, never doubt them that they can make this thing turn around and, and right the ship. Uh, and once they get a wet sail, they'll be coming home strong. So look out for uh, the point where they go on a tear. Let's hope that, that it uh, happens uh, this Saturday night. 